Uh, it is the 50th anniversary year of uh, this fellowship that God called together, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. We're going to do that in reference to God's people and God's kingdom and all that God has been doing on the earth from the time he created it. Uh, so let's just give him our attention this morning. I want to remind you, we missed church last week, and the week before that, we had church with Jubilee. Um, the week before that, we talked about God's superabundance, that he's called us to live abundant lives, a lives, that, lives that emotionally, spiritually, physically, and in every way can be abundant because of what he has done. And the key to that abundant life, we said, was the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God has been given to us to live within us to give us what we need for life, to keep us equipped. And so we had this question, which was, who's in you? Who's inside of you? Do you acknowledge the Spirit's presence? Do you remember that he's there to give you the strength you need, to give you the wisdom you need, to give you the hope that you need in difficult times? Do you remember that he's there, or is he kind of like the forgotten guest? He's in like a back bedroom or something, and you forgot he's even in your house. Uh, He's there. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've received Jesus as your Savior, the Spirit has come to live in you and given you a new birth, a new life in Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. And so we need to remember that God is, is at work within us, even when, like the song says, even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, he's still at work. And we need to encourage each other when there are times that are dry or times that we feel like we're in the wilderness. We encourage each other by reminding each other of God's faithfulness. Now, this message this morning will hopefully remind you of God's faithfulness. It's been 50 years, actually a little more than 50 years. In the late 60s, there was a group of people who lived in Holden who were going to church in Worcester at the time, but the church in Worcester said, why don't we start a little mission in Holden? Why don't you start a midweek Bible study and just get together with you and your families in somebody's home and and share the goodness of God together? Read his word, sing some songs, play some games with the kids. And so they started doing that in the late 60s. And by the early 70s, that group was about 35 people who said, you know, maybe we need a little help with this. We've been studying the Bible on our own. We've been doing some things on our own, but we need some help. I wonder if the church in Worcester will send somebody to kind of work with us and help us to, to, to make sure that we're staying on the right path uh, with these Bible studies and with the direction that God has called us to have. And so they sent somebody out who helped them for a few years. They got to a place where they grew and they said, you know, at some point we should probably start meeting on Sundays because they always met on Wednesday. So Wednesday nights, they had dinner together. It was similar to what we've done for many years. They had dinner together. The kids had a program. The adults had a program. Um, but they finally said, let's, let's start a church. We feel like God is moving in such a way that he wants us to start a church right here in Holden for the surrounding community. And so uh, this, this 50th celebration is a part of that process, is a part of acknowledging that. If you remember that God is always moving, we're, we're part of a movement, right? We don't want to be stuck. We don't want to be, you know, just doing nothing, just sitting down, doing nothing. We want to be moving with God. 50 is the title of this sermon today because we know that God is calling us to seek his power in this new year. We've talked about that in the last few sermons. And we know that he wants us to use that power to fulfill his mission that he has on us individually, but also corporately and in the world today. 
I believe this is our legacy. If you remember Jubilee, Pastor, Pastor Will was sharing about legacy. He was talking about a legacy. A legacy is something that is handed down from your predecessors from the past, right? They're giving you something. Uh, sometimes it's memories. Sometimes it's uh, something physical. And he talked about in the book of Joshua... When they built an altar in the middle of the Jordan, they took them, when, they, when, when God had done that miracle of stopping the Jordan so they could cross over into the promised land, they went and sent some men to carry some stones and build an altar of memorial. And that memorial, God said to them, the reason I want you to do this is because in years to come, when your children ask, what's that about? What's, why is there, there that, that mound of of rocks and stones there. Why is that so special that they would rehearse the story, that they would tell of God's goodness, that they would tell of God's power, that they would tell of God's deliverance, really, because that was their second time walking through the water, right? They walked through the water when they escaped from Egypt, when Moses led them through the Red Sea. Well, also, this was the crossing over into the Jordan. And so they had these, these memories that they wanted to pass on so that those current young people, that next generation could reclaim something from that past. They could remember that and, and take it and value it. And it would help to define who they were in their present day. Well, that's kind of what we want to do today. I want to see what God is able to do as we look back and then we take from that past and say, what does God want us to reclaim today? What does he want us to have in place? Now, some of you were alive even before 1972. Believe it or not, some of you are young people. But some of you were not. I'll give you a little view back into 1972. Um, we were at war. It was Vietnam. There was a war going on. It was a very difficult war. There was protests going on in the streets, uh, similar to some of the protests and things that have gone on now, like similar uh, disruption uh, in the government. Watergate had started. Watergate is this big thing that we don't need to study, but it was a problem. Uh, it really began to sort of take apart the trust that we had of our government um, and, and of some of the authorities over us. Gasoline was only 36 cents a gallon. Can you believe it? Uh, your family income, however, was about $11,000 a year. That's it. That was, that was a median income in America. It was 11000 You could buy a new car for 3500 So the, the numbers all shift, right? You only made so much, but everything was cheaper back then. Now you make more, but guess what? Everything's more expensive. So it all works out in the end, right? But we are going to look at what God was doing because this number 50 actually symbolizes something for the people of Israel, for the people of God. 50 symbolizes deliverance or freedom from past burdens and debt. It's called the year of Jubilee, actually. It's something that God built into their calendar. If you go back and you read the Old Testament where God was giving the law, he was building into their calendar this celebration, this time where everything went back to, to what it was before. Everything became what it, what it should be as, as far as how God had set up his kingdom. And so 50 has come to represent a time of deliverance or a time of freedom from the burdens and the debts of life. We all looking forward to that, aren't we? We'd all love to be free of our burdens and free of our debts. Well, in many ways, we already are because of what Christ has done for us, for what we just celebrated, the, the, the death of, of Jesus on the cross. He took our burdens. He took our debt. And he paid it off. So in one sense, we live all the time in a year of Jubilee. 
But we want to remember why this number 50 is important. 50 is important because God has assigned it some importance. In the Old Testament, like I said, God had, had told them to work for seven years and then to give their fields a rest. That was their sabbatical year. Give the fields a rest. Just live off the harvest of the year before and, and give yourselves a rest and give your animals a rest and all, all of your employees, everybody gets a rest in that, in that year of sabbatical. And then when you had seven of those, seven times seven is 49, so the next year would be 50, right? So after you've had seven sabbaticals, that next year was the year of Jubilee. That was the year in which God said, I want you to do something to acknowledge me in this country, in, this, in, this, in Israel that he created, right? He wanted them to go back to their, what they had been given as, as their land. All the, the borders would go back to where they were. If they had sold some off because they had some hard times, they'd get it back again. It's really an, an amazing thing if you study it. And we're not going to study it so much this morning, but that year of Jubilee is interesting to me because in this year, I met a nice pastor named Pastor Will, and he's from a church called Jubilee. And I'm like... Hmm, interesting coincidence. Uh, it's our Jubilee year, and we meet the Jubilee people, which I think was really awesome. And so God does things like that sometimes just to encourage us on our way. In the New Testament, the number 50 began to change in some ways or get a deeper meaning because it was 50 days from the resurrection of Jesus to the day of Pentecost. Jesus, it says in, in the New Testament, Jesus stayed with the disciples for 40 days, and then he ascended, his ascension into heaven, and he gave them a commission. He said, go, go to Jerusalem and wait for power from on high, because you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and even to the outer, outer edges of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses, but you need power for that. You need my power for that. You can't just go on what you know right now. And then we talked about this. I think in some ways, this is two weeks ago, so if you didn't hear that sermon, it's, on, it's online. We talked about, is there a possibility that we're living sort of in that time where we know of Jesus, we've even met Jesus, we've spent some time with Jesus, but we have yet to allow the Holy Spirit to rejuvenate our lives and our minds and our actions and our behaviors in such a way that we are walking in the power of the Spirit. That's why this series is called Walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit because we want to live lives of abundance that Jesus came to give us, but sometimes I think we shrink back and we don't live in that knowledge. We don't live in that reality. We're living with a lot of good things, we know God's word, we, we study his word, we, we have Bible study, we pray, but we're not necessarily being guided by the Holy Spirit. We're still guided by logic or reason or tr traditions and customs. Other things tell us what to do each day. Maybe it's your alarm clock, maybe it's your smartphone. You know, you're constantly being redirected by something or someone, but it's not necessarily the Holy Spirit. Remember, Tanya used an example that day. She put two cups of water and she put um, Alka-Seltzer that was still in the package, unopened, in one cup. And then she opened up the Alka-Seltzer and dumped it in the other one and there was a totally different reaction, right? And that was a great illustration for us because we can come to Christ, we can receive his spirit and then we can kind of sit unopened. 
without the power sort of regenerating us, renewing our minds, directing our day, helping us to repent when we need to, Mike. Thanks for that example during communion. Helping us to walk in the fullness of repentance so that we can walk in joy, not in guilt or in shame. Sometimes we fall back and we're almost functioning like Old Testament believers or, or like those believers that lived in between the resurrection and Pentecost, but not after the resurrection and Pentecost. And so this number 50 is symbolic in the New Testament because 50 actually is a, a biblical number to represent the coming of the Holy Spirit. So makes me think, 50 years of holding chapel. Have we been walking in the spirit all those 50 years? Do we need to go back and remind ourselves of what those who came before us did so that they could accomplish the things that God called them to do so that we can receive the power of the spirit to accomplish the things that he's called us to do? Maybe the next 50 years for some of you. I'm a little too old for maybe to have 50 more years, but I got a few more good years in me. But some of you have another 50 years of life. What are you going to do with it? And how are you going to be empowered to do the things that God calls you to do? And not just lean back on your own understanding. Just do the things that kind of make sense to you. God does some amazing things. And often they don't make sense to us. They, they, they blow our minds or sometimes they just seem way off. But God has a way of doing things which is beyond what we could ask or imagine, right? So we pray and we say, God, your will be done, not mine. Mine's too little. Mine's too frail. Mine's not good enough. Mine doesn't think big enough. Mine has to line up with your will. And so as we look at this, we want to be able to reset ourselves on the things that God led those early believers to in the book of Acts, but also the early believers who formed Holden Chapel because it's part of our personal history. So, happy birthday, Holden Chapel. We were constituted as a church. That's a fancy word, but there's a constitution. Members, members who have gone through the membership class know of this. But there's a constitution where believers come together and agree to certain things. And we were officially constituted in 1972. Prior to that, we were a mission. Then we were a Bible study. Then eventually, we, we, we were meeting and growing so much that we said, maybe God is calling us to start a church in Holden, not just a mission or a Bible study, but actually a church. And so that's what happened. So we're going to start with the acknowledgement and the thankfulness to those who had the vision and had the power of the spirit working within them to plant Holden Chapel. Now, that happened in 1972. I have a picture here I want to show you. That happened in 1972. Um, as I look at the picture, I don't recognize anybody because I wasn't here. How many of you were here in 1972? Oh, all right, Judy. Judy, I found your name on the official program for the Constitution service that they had. You and Jan Brunell. And, and your husbands, right? Your husbands have now passed. But, but you have the honor of being charter members who are still with us today. Thank you, Judy. Give us a wave. We love you. And your faithfulness is a great example to us 
A great example. That's a long time to serve. I know you've served in Sunday school and VBS and you've raised your kids and even your grandkids in, in the faith. You've done what you commissioned yourself to do and what they commissioned themselves to do. This is a picture from um, when, they were, when they were getting together in the 70s. They met at Mountview Middle School, which has since been knocked down and replaced with a new middle school. But they met at Mountview Middle School and uh, God began to work in them. They had uh, the support of the Southern Baptist movement back then. And, and, and at first, they thought, well, okay, we're going to kind of come under that denomination. We're going to sort of uh, let them lead us and guide us and help us to know how we can be a church in our town. But soon there was trouble, as, as uh, Tanya was alluding to. Soon there was some trouble. And eventually, in the early 70s, they said, I don't think this is what we want. They didn't get the, the support that they needed from that denomination, and they didn't get the help that they needed when there was trouble. And so there was difficulties. Relationships broke. Their vision for what they were here for got blurry. And so they needed some more help. They were trying to be a New Testament church. They didn't quite know how to do it without some extra help. But they heard about this guy... And uh, his wife, in 1976, they approached my father, actually, in 1975. He was leading a church in East Gloucester. And it was a non-denominational New Testament Christian church. And they went to him, and they listened to some sermons. They sat in the front row and sort of evaluated and thought about this thing. Um, And then eventually they approached him and said, would you come and help us to become this kind of church? A church that just believes in God's word and wants to do our best to follow it. We know we won't do it perfectly, but we don't want to, you know, have national leaders or international leaders who don't even know us making decisions for us and, and, and leading us in a direction that we don't even feel drawn to, but we have to because we're part of their, their big, you know, uh, what do we call it, franchise, you know. We're part of the bigger picture. And so he prayed. He and my mom prayed. They felt God call them here. They moved my family here um, in 1976 in February, believe it or not. Um, I remember because my birthday was in March. It still is, actually. My birthday is in March. (laughs) Talk about myself in the past tense. my, My birthday is in March, right? And I remember as a 12 year old kid, 11 year old kid at the time, like, I didn't like moving in February because. Every year I'd have a birthday party and all my friends from the neighborhood, all my friends from the church would come to my birthday party. And I thought, if I move here, who's going to come to my birthday party? As a kid, that's what you think about, right? You're not thinking about bigger issues. Uh, So I remember specifically coming and moving in the middle of a school year, which was not fun either, uh, and trying to catch up on the classes and trying to figure out where I fit. Um, My parents ministered faithfully here We went from Mountview Middle School, renting that facility every week, breaking down the chairs, taking out the hymnals and the Bibles, putting them in boxes, and then every week doing it again and again and again, to buying this property, to building the first little brick part of the building. If you see it, when you drive up the driveway, there's two white pillars. That's the original chapel. People who visit here always say, why do you call it a chapel? Isn't a chapel supposed to be small? I'm like, it was small. It just got bigger. And we didn't change the name. But, so the original chapel was built in 1978. And then again, they built in the 80s, in the early 80s, they built the other end of the building. That part down there that's now a gymnasium was once a sanctuary. 
And then God was blessing them so much, they were growing so much that they said, we got to do double services. And then they eventually were building a balcony in the, in the gymnasium and it became kind of crazy. They finally said, I think God has another plan, which is we need a bigger room. Thus, we sit here today, right? So in the, in the mid-90s, 96 or so, in 96 or so, they uh, decided to build a bigger room so that we could all be together in one room. Uh, and that's where we've been since the late 90s. Soon after that, God called my dad to retire. He was young. He was only 62. Um, and so the search committee was put together. The church had you know, leaders in place who were going to search for the next leader of Holden Chapel. And so they had 175 applicants for this one little job here at Holden Chapel. And uh, they searched. They interviewed. They talked to people. Some of you are on the search committee, right, Tom? They talked to people, they waited, they prayed, they just didn't get a piece around anyone. And in the meantime, my dad had actually left. He had, he had said, you know, my last day is in May, I think. And, and, you know, so they said, well, Tom, why don't you, in the interim, why don't you preach? Why don't you do your best to keep us together while we search for the next leader? He said, no problem. I'll be glad to serve. Um, to make a short, the story short, I've been here ever since. <laughs> I'm still temporary. No, I'm just kidding. I'm temporarily permanent here. Um, I guess that's what happened. What happened is they got to the end and they said, we really want you. Why won't you consider working here? And I thought, I don't know. I've been told it's not a good idea to follow in your father's, you know, pastorate or whatever. It can get difficult. It might get ugly. People might want you to be like him and you're not like him. You're like you. And they were right. That's exactly what happened. It got ugly. Um, but we made it through. <laughs> We persevered, and God's been faithful. Some of you were here for that. Some of you were not. But I just want you to understand the dynamics of what went on. And as God was working in these people, God continued to call the people of Holden Chapel to be committed to the word of God and to sharing God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ with the community around us, not just the community, but also the world. And so we've tried to remain faithful to that. Uh, Heather and I have served here and raised our four kids, uh, all of them, right here with you and with you and your kids, many of you. And God has led us to um, just pour out our lives and serve as best we can with who we are in God's kingdom. And you've done the same, and we're grateful for that. As we look back on, on this memorial, I want you to see... The, the purpose statement that they came up with. So when they decided they were going to separate from their original denomination, which was early in the 70s, they said, we need our own purpose statement. And so my father and the leaders at the time, they sought God and they said, what is it actually all about? It's not about all these rules and regulations. It's not about this. It's not about that. What's it all about? And they came up with this statement. They said, you know, our purpose as believers is to grow together as a church, ever moving toward wholeness in Christ. Wholeness in Christ. It's a beautiful sounding words, aren't they? You and I both need that and want that, and we yearn for that. Because God created us to be whole, to be complete in Christ. And life has knocked us around a little bit. And sometimes we're not quite there. We're searching for it. But what God in his faithfulness will help us. One day we will stand before him complete fully whole. In the meantime, we're working with the Holy Spirit, with God's word to become more and more whole 
as the years go on. So we're moving toward wholeness in Christ for ourselves and also for others by knowing him, Jesus, better and by better making him known. That's been the purpose. It hasn't really changed. We've tried to come up with different jingles and different jangles along the way, like, oh, let's do this, let's do that. But ultimately, it still boils down to this, doesn't it? We want to know Jesus better, and we want others to know him too. We want to make him known. We want, in whatever way God does that, sometimes it's through your personal testimony over a cup of coffee or something. Sometimes it's through a, a huge program, a, a big evangelistic push or something like that. But in whatever way God can do it, we know that God wants more people to know him. He wants more people to know his son. He wants more people to live in wholeness, in the fullness of that abundant life that he came to give us. He doesn't want people, you know, walking around injured and, and, and deformed and broken their whole lives. He created us to be whole in Christ. Go back to the Garden of Eden. That's what he created us for, to be fully engulfed in the glory of God and be fully in relationship with others in such a way that God is right there with us. Walking through the cool of the day, just sharing life together. That's the vision. And we know that sin has done a terrible job to distort that, but we also know that the Savior has come to reestablish his kingdom here on earth, just like it's in heaven. Just like it's in heaven. Now we know what heaven's like. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. You know, we, we got this great description We're in the process of seeking that, of working together with the Spirit, of becoming a community of people who fulfill our mission here on earth, but one day we know we'll be with him in the fullness of heaven. So where? Where are we going to do this? They have this little map in their original uh, documents, which I went through over these last couple months. This was their map of Worcester County. I don't know if it's changed in the, in the last 50 years, but this is it. You probably can't see all the little towns. You probably can't even read that. But I wanted you to see it because it's basically the center of, of our state. And we have tried to be faithful in that, to reach out in different ways. One of the ways in which we've done that is because you live there. You might live in Spencer. You might live over in Grafton. You might live up in Princeton. You might live down in Oxford. You live there, so you take the light of Christ with you. That's one way. So through you, we share the gospel in those communities. But also, we've had home groups and Bible studies in in different communities around the area. We told you one of our goals for this year is to multiply, to multiply our home groups so that there are more Bible studies and places where neighbors can come and get to know a few people and don't have to come you know, to this big scary place all at once, but they can begin to establish relationship and get to hear about Jesus. In, initially, on the side there, that big long list over there on, your, on that side, they were listing the things that they did to reach out to this region. And I just want to, I, I know this is like a little bit blast from the past, and for some of you, History is like, oh, history, you know. But history is important for a number of reasons. But they, they wrote here, on the top of that long list that's on the side, it, it says, we're witnessing through, and then they put dot, 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 Sunday school graded choirs. I don't know what graded choirs are, but I think that's different choirs of different ages. Royal ambassadors, girls in action, home Bible studies, vacation Bible school, outdoor choral crusades, Again, something of the past. The bus ministry, summer missionaries, youth ministries, 
His sound, quote-unquote, I think that was a musical group that they created, rallies, literature, radio, newspaper, nursing homes, cassette ministry. Remember cassettes? (laughs) I still have some. Cassette ministries, (laughs) film crusades, athletics, sports ministry, Dan, athletics, campers on mission, personal evangelism, dot, 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 and much, much more. So they listed all the things that they were involved in way back then in 1972. Some of those things we still do. Many of them maybe have gone by the wayside. We don't have a bus anymore. We did have a bus for many years, but some of these things, the names of them have changed. The different ways in which people do them have changed. But I wanted you to see that their focus was to reach their area, was to find ways to bring Jesus in different unique ways, some, a lot of music, You wonder why we have so many worship teams. Some churches only have one worship team. We got four, right? Because music has always been something central, you know, to to who we are and how we want to express ourselves. We have songwriters in our midst. We have people that are just so creative that God has brought them here and allowed them to help lead us and guide us in that. Down in the very bottom, I know I'm skipping around a little bit, um, but down in the very bottom, there's a little Bible verse right, right here. And we'll blow it up for you. I loved this when I saw this. Look what it says. It's, of course, in the King James back then. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts 1.8. Same verse. Same verse that God has led us to before we looked at this memorial, before we looked at these these things. It's just saying, like, how do we do this, God? How do we do something that seems impossible? In 2022, it seems impossible sometimes to reach people for Jesus. Seems like people don't want to hear about him. Seems like people are very resistant to the gospel, resistant to the goodness of God. They don't understand it. They think that God is a judgment, a, a God of wrath, and a God, you know, or, or just some imaginary thing that weak people need. There's all kinds of philosophies out there. How can we reach people and fulfill the Great Commission, which is to go and make disciples of all nations? How can we do that? without the help of God himself, without the Holy Spirit? The answer is, we can't. Let's say that together. We can't. We can't do it on our own. Remember, we talked about this. It's, it's impossible. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not crafty enough. You're not cool enough. You're not a whole bunch of enoughs, right? To be able to do something that only God can do. God, by his Holy Spirit, wants to use people like you and me He'll use us in all of our weaknesses, in all of our brokenness, in all of our, despite all that stuff, he'll still use us to light the light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine and, and, and give the light of Christ to others because they're still in darkness. There's darkness all around us. It's not going to destroy us, but we can't just sort of close the doors and, and say, you know, us four and no more. You know, we'll just wait till Jesus comes back. That's not what he asked us to do. He asked his disciples specifically to go and make more disciples, to take the good news of the gospel to the utter ends of the earth and everywhere in between. 
That's our goal and that's our mission. And it's never changed. And it's not going to change until Jesus comes back and he says, okay, good job. But sometimes we know from the parables of Jesus, when he comes back, he doesn't always say, good job. Do you remember the parable of the talents? Remember the parable of the talents? It's just a landowner or a master. He came and he said, you know, to three servants, like, here, I'm going away for a while. Doesn't tell him for how long. I'm going away for a while. And while I'm gone, I'm going to give you, you know, this much. We'll call it money. This much money. You get this much and you get this much. And then he went away. Didn't give much instruction that we can tell from the parable. When he comes back, he finds that the guy who gave the most money to has like doubled the money. He's, he, he's done so, so well. He invested it well. It came back. It, it produced more fruit. And he was very pleased. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. The guy who got the middle amount of money, he also did, did a good job and, and, and made a return for his money. But there was that one guy. He took it. He buried it in his yard. And when the master came back, he went and he unburied it, probably took the dirt off it, washed it up or whatever, brought it and said, here you go. And the master looked at it. That's, that's the same thing I gave you. You did nothing for me. I got nothing for my, I got nothing for my investment, right? That parable is a good example for us to remind us That our lives, which God has invested in by his spirit, he's given his son for us, he's filled us with his spirit, is an investment on God's part. He gave you life. He gave you his spirit. He gave you forgiveness. He gave you gifts and abilities that you didn't have by yourself. You're not good enough for that. You're not smart enough for that. You're not strong enough for that. But he gave you his strength. He gave you his wisdom. He gave you his goodness. That's his investment. What are we doing with it? Is it buried? These are good, convicting questions. I'm not mad at you. (laughs) I'm really not. I want to explore with you. I told you we were going to drill down in these next several weeks. We're going to keep drilling down and saying, what are we missing? Because I want to live that abundant life with you. I want, to, I want to be living and overflowing with the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. All the things that God can pour into me, I want to pour them out and continue to let that go. Live in that abundance that Jesus came to give us. But there's times that I'm not, I'm not fulfilling that. I know that about me. There's times when I'd just rather stay on the couch under my comfy comforter. Right? It's cold out there. People are mean out there. I'd just rather stay in here where it's nice and safe. That's not what he asked us to do. That's not what he asked our predecessors to do. And so they took it upon themselves to follow God's lead, to plant a church, to give it a purpose, to go in this direction. Andrea, I'm sorry about the slides. I'm way all over the place, but it's a good thing. Because we're going to do, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going with this. I know, I know I'm supposed to be somewhere. All right, let me see. Let's go to Luke 24. Can you get the Luke 24 slide up there? All right. I love this. I'm going to turn to it and read you it, it, but I just gave you a little bit of that right here. Luke 24, when Jesus was with them, and this is what I think he's doing with me, and I hope he's doing with you. 
When Jesus was with them, when they were spending time with him after the resurrection, we're talking about glorified Jesus. Glorified. I, I mean, I don't know how they, they could be in his presence, but they were in his presence. And in, in Luke 24, verse 45, it says, he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He opened their minds. Are you open-minded? Or are you closed-minded? Our minds are important real estate in what God has given us. Scripture says we can be double-minded. In the book of James, it says don't be double-minded, which means you're kind of back and forth. I believe it, but I don't. I'll follow him, but I can't. I know. Don't be double-minded. Don't be closed-minded. Let's be open-minded. And allow Jesus, by his spirit, to open up our minds. And then it says, he told them, in verse 46, he told them, this is what was written. Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning right here in Jerusalem. Verse, verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He was getting ready to, to ascend into heaven. Right after this, he does ascend. But he tells them to go into the city and wait because there's something that's been promised. We know the promise has been the Holy Spirit. He asks them to wait. Now, wait is an interesting word because usually we don't like to wait. There was a 40-minute wait for my pizza. I had to wait for the doctor for three hours. He was so behind schedule. We don't like wait. When someone says, hey, just wait. You know, when you're trying to rush, rushing into something. Wait, stop. Ooh, we don't like that. We don't like the yellow light. When the yellow light says wait, do you know the one between the green and the red? Instead of tapping your brakes, you usually hit the gas. Because you want to make it through. Because then you're going to have to wait. And it's going to have to go red. Then the other one's going to get the, the, the arrow in their direction. And then you have to wait. And we don't like that. I'm glad that our forefathers and foremothers waited in Jerusalem. I don't know if some people didn't go. We don't really know. There's parts of history where I'm like, I wonder if there are some people that were like, ah, I don't got time to do that. 10 days. They waited 10 days. So it was 40 days in the presence of Jesus while he opened their minds and taught them, this is what God is doing. This is what God has been working towards all these years. This is, this is going to be awesome, but you got to wait. Go in Jerusalem and wait. Ten days. Ten days. Ten days. They didn't know what was going to happen exactly. They just knew they were going to get what was promised from the Father. But they waited. He told them that's where the power was going to come from so that they could be his witnesses. They could tell others effectively because they were filled with his spirit. 
and the multiplication was amazing. On the day of Pentecost, which we'll look at next week, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to Christ. It says 3,000 were added to their number in that one day. Now that itself is a miracle. Amazing, right? The whole thing is a miracle. The fact that he can open your closed mind is a miracle. By the power of his spirit, he can help you to understand the things of God. It's a miracle. God is a miracle-working God. Amen? I want us to pray for our church. I want to pray thanksgiving for the, the fact that we get to be a part of a church that has tried to follow God faithfully through the ups and downs to continue to be made whole personally, but also to help others to find wholeness as well, to be on mission. I know that the key for us will always be the power of the Holy Spirit. It was, and it is, and it is to come, right? If you're convicted in any way, it's not a bad thing. Conviction is a good thing. The Holy Spirit works in us to remind us of things like, oh, that's right, I should be doing such and such. It's like a reminder. Going back and looking at the, the origin of our church, understanding that God placed his people together for a purpose, and then that purpose needs to be fulfilled. I want to ask you in these next couple weeks with me, I'm not asking you this morning because I don't want any, like, they call it knee-jerk reactions. I, don't, I want you to really think and pray about us recommitting ourselves to the original purpose of this church, to reach out to Central Mass and beyond in ways that are effective for our day and age, in ways that will make a difference in the kingdom of God. Just get out from under our comforters and get out of our warm little jammies and get out there and let the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit stuff. Reach lost people. Find broken-hearted people and bring them to himself. That's what God's whole mission is. He's not done with us. If he was done with us, we might as well just, you know, take down the sign on Route 31, put up a big fence with a lock on it, I'll give you all your own personal key. You're the only ones allowed in here. Nobody else, right? He's not done with us. See, that doesn't make any sense in our minds. We're like, that's silly. It is a little silly. But in some ways, we might lean into that. Get too comfortable, After 50 years, for sure we could. So I think it's a good time to renew, to refresh, to redirect. If we've gotten off track, to redirect and to get ourselves back with God in the work of God. Amen. Father God, thank you so much for our history, whether it's ours personally or it's of ours as a church. Thank you for the ups and downs. We thank you that you've been faithful through them all. Thank you for the reminder that we need you. You created us for yourself, that you have given your spirit to us. Help us to seek after you, to go deeper with you, to keep running after you so that we find you when we seek you with our whole hearts. Be with us in these next several weeks. Help us to get our feet on solid ground with you. We look forward to seeing the miracles that only you can do in this day and age. 
Christ we pray. Amen.